Okay, hello and welcome to the uh, Eat Well podcast. In this episode, uh, I'm sitting on uh, the beach, Jervis Inlet. Uh, it's just uh, the sun's not quite going down, but it's gone down past the mountains and these steep mountains uh, that line the edge of the of the inlet. And uh, I'm hanging out with Will Varda, and Will got drawn for a Roosevelt elk hunt in one of the drainages up here, and uh, we've just set out on this adventure so we're day one into it it's our scouting day and uh anyways i'll introduce you to will if you've listened to any of our other podcasts i think will's been on a couple um as a friend of mine and uh hey will hey how's it going thanks for having me on again hopefully i won't have another disaster story for for the elk hunt this this time around yeah so hopefully i I, you may have i don't know where where we whenever we kick up the podcast of uh uh Will and Tommy's uh, river, Northern River Adventure, which which sort of told the story over three years of trying to figure out how to get um, how to get elk uh, in the Northern Rockies, uh, and there's a pretty good epic uh, disaster story uh, on that podcast. So if you haven't caught that one, check it out. It'll be in probably one or two previous to this. Um, yeah, but we we're definitely like as as the ATV was like uh, on the crane. Uh, right over and and slung over top of you. Meanwhile, you you will were in a little um, aluminum skiff underneath the the ATV, so it was basically hanging over your head, twenty and feet up. Twenty feet up. So so one of the ways the way that we get you can get access. Um, there's lots to talk about in the logistics of this trip, but this is just one scene that was yesterday. Um, we needed to transport an ATV up the inlet to the estuary that we're to, to access this river valley that we're hunting. And in order to do that, you got to get a boat to take the ATV up. Now to get the ATV on a boat, um, like originally our plan was to drive the ATV down the ramp at the dock. And then, and then we had ramps lined up. So we'd like lay the boat along the dock and then we'd drive it up onto the, uh, under the, uh, onto the deck of the boat. And, uh, as it turned out, we couldn't get the ATV down the, the ramp. So, Plan B was to use um, at a lot of uh, at a government dock here in, in British Columbia. Most a lot of the working docks will have a just sort of a, a hand crank crane uh, from from the end of the pier uh, that that you can load and unload things off of off vessels. And so we had to um, take a couple of tow straps and 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 uh, run them through the. Uh, the the uh, the ATV and then hook them onto this this crane and then the crane basically lifts up the ATV and then swings it out over the water and meanwhile Will had to paddle our little dinghy that we were our plan well the plan was to put the boat the, the ATV on a little aluminum skiff and uh, and there's the tow behind the big boat so there was this moment where like the first thing we did on this trip was this ATV dangling off this crane. And there's Will underneath it, paddling the boat underneath it, and didn't have his hard hat on. <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe that was it. And like that was that was like how it all ended. Uh, Dylan, uh, the guy was telling us where to park, and uh, Dylan gave me his keys. Says, yeah, if you could go take the van, the truck up there. Hold on, Will. I I'm not sure if we're picking you up. Yeah, we are. Sorry, I missed. Okay, well, we're good. Yeah, yeah we're good. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, the guy says, oh, yeah, you can park the truck up there and whatever. So Dylan hands me the keys. And then, and then he goes, all right, so I'm going to need you to go down there and paddle the skip over and <laughs> I'm going to drop the ATV. What was that? I see Dylan's hand come get the keys out of my hand <laughs> and sends me down on the skip. See this thing dangling. And meanwhile, 
buddy uh, who drove us up, he um, he hadn't seen all of his old friends at the dock for a while, so he's just shooting the shit and. Oh hey, wow, fuck you, know Gary. Eh? Like he's a blah blah blah, and he's like not even looking at me, and he's wheeling he's this two, crane. He's got two <laughs> two buddies that have just like showed up at the dock. One guy he hasn't seen for years, been sailing around the world, and Gus is a real chatter. So he's just yeah, just Yacking chatting away. away and I'm looking up at this thing. Yeah, meanwhile operating a crane with a thousand. Well, I don't know how much these things weigh. Eight hundred pounds these ATVs or five hundred pounds. I have no idea. Regardless, it's, it was like if it came down on your head, it was one hundred pounds. It'd be enough. It wouldn't even matter, even if even if like you somehow like you know, didn't hit you in the head, even if it just landed awkwardly on the boat. Oh, the whole things thing would be very dumped, upsetting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Been, so yeah. So, anyways, luckily that was that all worked out. Lowered it and yeah. and uh, lots of advice shouting to me from the top of where I should put it and how I should do. It. But yeah, we yeah, got everybody good, so had, had an opinion. Um, all right, so let's just go back a little bit, and um, if you hear some wood. Well, some one of our buddies is chopping wood in the background. Another classic Eat Wild podcast with guys coming and going and people chopping wood. And, and anyways, um, we might hear boats going by, but uh, you have to put up with it because it's it's kind of nice where we're sitting and yeah, kind of beautiful. So uh, let's go back a bit. So we so this is a hunt. Uh, I could tell. Okay, this is actually an interesting story. So th- this hunt um, started. Uh, so there's Roosevelt elk on the Sunshine Coast, and there are um, certainly huntable populations of Roosevelt elk, and it's largely due to an effort that was put forward by the Ministry, uh, well, Ministry of Environment at one point, but the uh, Ministry of Forest Lands and Natural Resource Operations, the government. The government put forward with the help of lots of volunteers and and um, and some very uh, uh, tenacious wildlife biologists that um, they were able to secure funding, but and and put together a project plan to to trap elk from the uh, Seasalt Peninsula and then relocate them uh, throughout uh, the inlets uh, above. So there's there's like Seasalt Inlet, Zuni Narrows, Jervis, Night uh, um, Inlet, all, all the way up and down the the coast here, and even some of the drainages like uh, Indian Arm and the Pit System, and even the Stave. Now they've managed to trap elk from this very healthy population of elk on the Sunshine Coast and then re- relocate them to all of these uh, areas that have been, um, the elk have been extirpated uh, from from these areas. Extir- extirpated means that like the elk were, uh, were at one point, there was a healthy, there was a population of elk on a number of these valleys that they were removed or they were shot during um, when there was market hunting. Uh, all of these areas, there was huge logging camps up and down the inlets and on the coast of BC. And there was market hunters that would go and find meat for to support the, the camps. And uh, so elk being elk, they're, they're, they're a herd animal. And at times of the year, they're all uh, herded up and in concentrations down in the estuary. So it made it very easy to, to drive by in a boat and shoot them all. And, and that was a, a way of feeding these camps. So anyways, uh, around like, I don't know, like 2000 or like even like they started moving elk from these areas of high population into areas where they've been extirpated. And here we are like 18 years later. And, you know, we figure there's probably between the 50 and 100 elk in the valley that we're in. And um, there's certainly elk up and down these inlets. And and the benefit of it, I mean, in addition to the fact that there's just, you know, elk have now re you know reestablished in these areas, and that's great for the biodiversity. Um, but there's also an opportunity to hunt for both uh, uh, the indigenous communities who have traditionally hunted here and resident hunters like like us. Um, so, in order to 
to have that, to do that hunt though, like obviously because we're so close to Vancouver, uh, there'd be a huge demand for people who'd want to come and hunt here. And, uh, um, so in order to manage that demand, we have, we manage it through a limited entry hunting opportunity. So it's, it's a lottery system. So that's where we start the story is, uh, I've, I've always put in for elk on the Sunshine Coast, having lived here for many years and having uh, seen the good work that, that Daryl Reynolds and his biologist team have done by, and participating in a few of the relocations, at least the trapping of, of the elk, um, uh, I've always put in for the elk draw in the hopes that I get it one day. This year, uh, we teamed up. So it was, was it Larry that they, Larry came and suggested? Yeah, Larry, I think a friend of Larry's also put in. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I think he maybe wanted to try to get Mark, Mark to get in on it. And the, uh, anyways. Those are three of us anyways. Yeah, we're committed. As far as I know that we're committed to doing it. So, so we sort of said, if one of us gets it, we'll all go. And uh, Larry and I both have boats and. And I did zero research. I have to say I was in the middle of like some uh, cabin renos and doing my roof and stuff. And so I basically said, well, Dylan and Larry think that that's a good idea. Then what's the number? And I just wrote the number down and put in the form. I didn't even really think about it. Well, Other than my cabin's on the Sunshine Coast, and this is the Sunshine Coast, and I know it was boat access. But. So yeah, we have proximity, right? So I, I, we, so both Will and I have homes on the Sunshine Coast. So, you, so we sort of in our heads thought that that would make it logistically easier, just just for some reason, because you know yeah. we're an hour closer to the to the inlet. Um, but as it turns out, we we actually when we started to st- do the research on these hunts and started to stack up the logistics of what it would take to do a hunt like this. So just to lay out the landscape here, like we're, we're up a fjord, right? There's, there's steep mountains and uh, a deep canal going up. I don't know. It's, I think it's, it's about a two and a half hour boat ride from, from Egmont, which is the, uh, which is the sort of the, where the beginning of the, of the, of the inlet starts. And, and about, it's about two and a half hours to get to the top of the inlet um, there's a few spots along the way where there's where there's major drainages that come in, and all of which hold elk. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it's a big commitment because you've got to get physically got to get a boat up here. Now, once you get up here, there's the the main access to these areas is there's a logging landing, like an area where they where roads come down to the water, which and there's probably a log dump. So there's some there's some sort of almost like a boat launch at each one of these inlets, uh, or each one of these. Uh, um, drainages that, that flow into the main inlet and uh but then if you want to get there's there's there there can be you know up to 20 kilometers of road access up some of these uh up with these drainages but you need to have some transportation so what, what did we talk about for options oh man we were talking about bikes and you know larry you probably talked about a lot on the podcast but you know he's an 80 year old guy and he's the fittest most active 80 year old guy i know but he and both of us were talking like, wow, we got mountain bikes. And I rigged up a, I got one of those like DIY mountain bike uh, trailers. I use it for blacktail hunting on the Gulf Islands. And it works super well. You put it on your bike and and uh, works great. And I was like, oh, I'll bring my mountain bike up. And you realize, man, sometimes you have all these ideas of how things are going to work out. And you have all these, uh, and then you get there and you're like, oh my God, I had no idea what so, was up. So we were like, so we, so we ended up bringing an ATV which we kind of alluded to in the beginning of this podcast, but I think we were probably like 400 meters up the logging road with the ATV this morning on our scouting mission. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, I was like, could you imagine? Like, <laughs> saying, 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 Will, like, could you imagine being on a bike right now? 
it took how many kilometers till we saw something huntable? Like, like eight, nine, eight, nine kilometers, eight, nine kilometers. And God knows, I mean, so, 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 so this particular drainage, there hasn't been a ton of logging. There's been a lot of logging in here. Um, Well, they've logged the whole valley back, like at the turn of the century when there was the original logging camps, and, and so it's been completely nucleated. Yeah, so 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 the layout of the land here, I think that's kind of important to kind of describe to people, um, is that like these logging roads. Th- th- this area was logged probably at the turn of the century, and they nuked every tree in the valley probably, and the ones they didn't get got burnt out. There was a huge fire apparently at one time that just cleaned everything else out. So um, everything's been regen, and some and, and and back in the day they didn't have like you know silver culture prescriptions that you know ensured there was like. A, a healthy forest regenerating, or at least a forest that's like nice and open and easy to walk through. A lot of this here is very thick regen, which is, um, uh, well, basically is, is like from, from the log dump here that we're sitting at right now, so we're camped, um, right down, uh, along the, along the inlet, um, all the way up to where, as far as we can get the ATV about 10 K is impenetrable bush for the most part. There's some forest that's maybe not too bad. You can walk through, but a lot of it's just sort of this regen alder and stuff that's, you know, it's super mature, but uh, um, not particularly nice for, for hanging out in. Having said that, apparently elk like this sort of ugly deciduous bush that... Um, I don't doubt it. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, there's seven, eight feet. What were you calling They said there's salmonberry bushes. Oh, we were pushing through that today on our fishing. Oh yeah, expedition. I mean, even you look at like, oh, well, this is a nice, nice big area. And as soon as you look at, it, you think it's a nice open area, and then you realize that that what you think is the ground is the top canopy of an eight, eight foot tall yeah. bush yeah. <laughs> network. <laughs> so yeah, so how exactly we're gonna like see an elk, spot an elk, get close enough to even physically get close to it, and then even have it have a shot at it is is. Um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. The tip of their antlers above the bushes. Yeah, geez, it could be interesting. So anyway, we haven't figured that part out, but and hopefully, so we haven't actually started hunting yet. So this episode, this initial part of this episode, just talk a little bit about the logistics and planning of kind of taking on a bit of an adventure trip like this. Because so the, the the first question was, first of all, you had to get organized and kind of get a committed group of guys and put in for the draw together, and then. When you're so, well, you got drawn. So this, so then all of a sudden, all three of us are somewhat committed to supporting you on it, right? Yeah. And and I'm not gonna lie, like I like I thought about the, I was like, I could be like skipping through the grasslands in the Okanagan or somewhere <laughs> really nice right now. Oh, there was a moment we all checked out on this. Oh well, yeah. This there is was it. I was I was done with it. I was like I was saying the same thing. I was like, oh, I'll take my girlfriend. We'll go, let's get the wall tent. Go to the Okanagan somewhere nice, you know, some. Oh. Open some sage here and there, and go hit up some vineyards. Uh, be nice. Yeah, know? yeah, totally nice. <laughs> like you know, let's do the wine tour. Yeah, it'd be uh, great. Like so, and, and so as it sort of as I was feeling. I mean, of course, it's hunting season. There's lots going on. There's other hunts, and you're you know, you're feeling a little tired from the last one. And so we did talk about this, and we and we kind of said, well, it's just gonna, as I pieced together some information, some of the initial information I got was that there was only three kilometers of road open. And the rest of it, you had to walk up the valley, and the elk were probably around the 10k mark, and so that meant that you had to walk, push through bush for 7k just to get to where you think there might be elk. And and I and I've done one of these hunts before. And I, I've, I've I've helped a buddy out for a couple of days of his hunt before, and I know how limited this type of hunting is because it's not like you know in, in some parts of Vancouver Island you can 
you can hunt Roosevelt elk by they're, they're in open clear cuts or they're in areas where there's lots of open clear cuts. So your hunt is basically driving through logging roads and then spotting the clear cuts. And, you know, if you see a, if you see a group, you watch them for a while. And if a bull shows up, you can put a stock on it. Well, this is my second. Should I talk about my first Roosevelt elk hunt? Oh, shoot. Yeah, okay. Well, so <laughs> Will has an experience. I'm actually an experienced Roosevelt elk Yeah, you're very <laughs> yeah, and successful. So my, um, I'll, I'll super quick because it's not a very... <laughs> It's not a great <laughs> a very story. epic story, but it is kind of funny. Um, so uh, my buddy, the very first year we started hunting, he won this draw on Vancouver Island. That's like a one in 100 odds, some absurd odds. Just crazy odds. Yeah. You just never, and because we didn't know any better, we just applied for it. And he won, and he didn't want to do it. He was like, oh, I'm too busy. Kind of, he didn't really understand the gravity of what, what he had. So I convinced him and convinced him and convinced him and... Eventually, he got some time off. We had like one weekend, which anyone would kill us if they knew. We had one oh, yeah. weekend this draw, to hunt this, this road. Like, I, I know some guys on Vancouver odds. Island that would just lose it if they found out that some <laughs> some, some guy who took the stupid eat wild course and got his <laughs> and then got excited and put in for this draw, and the next thing you know, he he's he's like, I got like I got Saturday and half a Sunday. Off. I think he's in law school. He's like, I got like a lot of homework to do law school and stuff so he's like yeah okay a weekend that's what we can do so we went up and and so i had gone and went through the hunting bc forms and talked to people and blah 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 did all my research and i found some guy but i couldn't get his phone number but i knew his name i knew the color of his house so i went on google earth <laughs> found the color of his house that was past <laughs> some bridge and then did some snooping i think i I think Google Earth, you know, sometimes they overlay the addresses and then did a reverse phone number lookup on his address <laughs> to call this guy. And so anyways, I got this guy's number and he's like, oh yeah, come on down. There's a, there's a, some elk down here or whatever. And, and so, so anyways, we, we get down there with my buddy. We have two days and we get down there and uh, my car breaks down day one. So we lose a day. And we have just nothing. We just get there. We just try to figure out some areas, figure out some spots, something, you know, try to get in touch with this guy. And I couldn't get a hold of him and whatever. And it, anyways, we worked. We saw a couple elk. We went home after two days of hunting this one in 100 draw. Next year, I'm in the gun store and the guy's talking, oh, I won this draw. I says, number, blah, 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 letter, blah. And, and I was like, oh, you'll get it for sure. I know all about this hunt. If you give it more than 30 hours. 30 hours, you probably have a good <laughs> chance. You're going to nail it. So he goes out, and I'm in the gun store again next week. And uh, he's like, so, did you get it? He's like, no, man, we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't get whatever. I was like, oh, man, I got a guy's number. I got his phone number. His house is white, and it's two past the bridge or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, why don't you come? And so I don't know this guy from nothing. Like, yeah, we just talked in the gun store a bit. And so uh, I was like, sure. So he came, picked me up the next that weekend, and we went out. I called the guy. I said, hey, we're going to come back. And he's like, oh, good. I'm home this time. I'll set you up. And uh, drove out there. Him, his friend that was a, a guy from mainland China, didn't speak any English at all. And uh, just the three of us getting to know each other for one night in a hotel. We get up in the morning. We, he told me, okay, this is my farm here, and this is my farm here. Went to the first farm. Show up there before first light. Nothing in the farm. Can you imagine? Nothing. And eh? we're like, well, this isn't working out. So we're like, well, his farm's also across the road. So we walk across the road and there's like 15 elk in his field, just in his field. And there's like, we're looking, he had a cow draw and it's just like bull, bull, 
Bull. <laughs> Where the hell are the cows? <laughs> and they're big, like a big bulls. So there's a so the guy climbs up on the hay bale and shoots one after like <laughs> we've been hunting for ten minutes and most of that was walking to the farm. <laughs> like we've been hunting on this farm for like two minutes and it dropped right there. We went up to How it. How was the pack out? That was, the pack out was kind of hard. Uh, one of the guys came out and we asked, hey, can we, do you mind if we drive our pickup on your field? And the guy says, no problem. So we backed the pickup truck <laughs> back to our Roosevelt elk and packed it in. And we were on the ferry by noon. <laughs> it's about a three-hour drive to Nanaimo <laughs> yeah. from where you were. So like, that's incredible. And meanwhile, you went on what, like a 10-day yeah. epic. Yeah. Shot it like three kilometers in or some story like oh yeah that was the year that, that was the year you almost killed year. yourself well i was i i didn't i mean i almost killed my hunting partners because no. they're not quite as <laughs> they're not quite as into packing elk for three kilometers up and over a mountain but uh well, i'll tell you that truck bed wasn't too low you know it was probably three feet off the ground so you had to lift it up we oh yeah we get to lift and they're big those quarters lifting big. right up from the ground and up oh, on the, the truck bed oh yeah really eh? yeah yeah that's tough yeah, yeah. Jeez, hey. So this is my second Roosevelt elk hunt. It's a little bit different. <laughs> a little different. This is a little <laughs> different. Yeah, so I so to so logistically, the, the logistics of it so far, I haven't kind of got kind of finished that off. It's like um you need you needed a boat and you need transportation. So we sort of kicked around the idea of e-bikes, but then you could, you know, I know I know you could probably get maybe 40 kilometers of charge on an engine or on, on the motor, and then so we finally and then we looked at borrowing an ATV. I, I'm not part of an ATV community. You know, one good group of buddies on the island have ATVs and I could, you know, that are close enough friends that I could maybe borrow their ATV, but I I don't think the your ATV is kind of thing you want to lend to people either because it's just, it's going to get beat on a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. It's like a chainsaw. Like you just kind of don't really want to, <laughs> or in the, in the case of my axe, I don't think I want to lend you my axe anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's driving my axe into the gravel and rock. Like, that's there was it. one, there was one yeah. Enthusiastic hit. Yeah, that's enough. It was a tap. It was a little love tap on the gravel. <laughs> love tap on my nice sharp axe. <laughs> Anyways, a little rock love tap. Um, so we had, we had a, well. So where really the breaking point for the commitment was this was that we did get in touch with one of the so out of all of our research. So so you you were um, working. You you put a message up on BC hunting or hunting BC. Yeah, yep. On the and. And of course, I, I you know I took advantage of my main, my main contact is Dale Reynolds, who's a biologist that that has sort of run this program for for managing the Roosevelt elk and relocating them. And of course, he's away hunting for two weeks, right? As right where we're doing the planning stage of this hunt, and I kind of dropped the ball and didn't call him before we went. So I didn't have access to Daryl, and I, I called the Ministry of Forest contacts. I got a couple of buddies in the office there to, to find out about road access to figure out how much roads accessible, and that that would help us decide if we're if it was only three k, then we're going to take bikes. If there's more than three k, then we'll have to figure out an ATV. Or or maybe if you know we talked to Daryl, he's like, you don't need anything. You just walk up from the river, and they're right there in the estuary, and you know maybe you just walk right. So you know these are all factors that we needed to do the research on. So we're we're collectively. Uh, you know, I'm I'm working my channels of of, of my, you know, friend, you know, my my friends within my my professional community to get me some information, um, and it turned out that uh, I actually my my brother uh, my brother's wife Chloe uh, she grew up in Jervis Inlet uh, just at the mouth of Jervis Inlet at uh, in Saint Vincent Bay uh, near Egmont and uh, her 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 family still lives at the homestead there and um, and so of course they're, they're they're friends and they're family and. Uh, 
So I called up Gus and I, and I said, hey, we got this drawing and uh, do you happen to know any contacts for anybody up there? And so he gave us a contact for, there's a, there's a, there's a private property here. There's a guy named Steve who lives here um, on the property. And he, I emailed him and I kind of know full well that like, well, for one thing, if you live in the middle of nowhere by your, you know, you probably don't like, not going to, you know, be super forthcoming with information from some stranger that, that emails you asking about access and where the elk are and all the questions you might want to ask somebody. But anyway, Steve was great though. He, he actually got back to me right away and, and said that, yeah, you can, you know, if you want to get an ATV up here, then you got a, I got a dock here you can land it on and, and there's about 10 kilometers road opened up and there should be some elk around. And he kind of just having that local knowledge um, really made me feel more comfortable about doing this hunt. Because mm-hmm. at least I know we could get somewhere. At least I knew that there was some elk here. At least I know that logistically we could get, uh, you know, on the shore. We needed something because we were, I was done with this hunt. Like I I was out and I was like, unless something happens where we get some serious information. And you have to because we showed up here with our bicycles. Oh, dude. We, <laughs> There's we, no way. And yeah. like I, I don't, I aesthetically don't like ATVs. I just have to admit I'm not an ATV person. I've never ridden one really. You know, I like the, you know, you get on your bike and you go shoot a deer and you put in your trailer and you bike it back and you feel like cool or something. Well, you've worked for it a bit, right? You worked for it for a bit, but this is no way. <laughs> There's no way we get away with Vaguely possible. Yeah. This would have been a camping trip. This may still be a camping trip. Well, it still may but well, it definitely would have been a camping trip. Definitely would have been a camping trip if we didn't do it. So, oh, yeah. We totally. do have something exciting to say at some point. We'll, we'll, well, yeah, we'll get yeah, to it. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the, so we finally, we, so I, I think the real, the real game changer is we, we got the information to know like that there was access, that we could land there, that we had a contact and that just made me feel more comfortable about really investing in the trip. Cause what, what it amounted to is at some point we were like, okay, we're going to do this trip. And that, and if we do this trip, that means we should, um, rent an ATV. And that, that was kind of an $800 commitment yeah. when we decided to do that. Um, or even buy an ATV and then, you know, have an ATV and then sort of thought about that a little bit. But, but I tell you, like, I was kind of excited to like, you know, drive the ATV and like, uh, wears off quick. <laughs> it wears off pretty quick. <laughs> it wore off about the same time that I realized I was glad I didn't have a bicycle before I even was on the road. <laughs> You're just sitting there freezing cold, just bouncing up the logging road going, how far up do we have to try? <laughs> Jesus. I have no idea. We saw, we talked about it. Like, how do guys spend all day long on an ATV? And that's what they look forward to. I that, know. That's their thing in the fall. They look forward to just bouncing on their oh, ATV. We, and oh, we hunted really hard. We spent, we put a lot of hours on the ATV. <laughs> we hunted hard. I'm like, yeah, you did. Actually, that is hard. <laughs> I, I, I understand that now, even though I think it's the most useless way of hunting. But having said that, when we're packing out our elk, we'll be kissing the ATV on all fenders. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, well, if we get an elk. So anyway, so so logistically, we we did we we kind of decided we we're gonna go for it. So so we landed on okay. We knew we could get an we needed an ATV. We knew that, and then we knew that we needed to get an ATV up here. So that's the next logistical thing. So you know, I've got a boat. It's twenty foot aluminum weld aluminum boat. Probably would have been. I think it would have been just fine. I think we could have loaded that yeah. ATV on the on the bow of my boat, no problem. And um, and run it up here. The the limitation though was is that my boat is not a, my boat's on Vancouver Island, which is like a um, which would have required an extra day's travel to get it here. And and then the other piece that was that that 
we'd heard from research is there's nowhere to like safely leave your boat. Like there's no there's no dock here, yeah. and 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 then and the wind can really rip here uh, through the inlet. So you know if you're 10 kilometers up the valley and there's a storm comes in, you're, you're just worrying about your boat. Like it's just not not something I'm comfortable with having my boat at anchor without you know a nice protected bay. And we're definitely not in a nice protected bay here. So um, so the legit. So whether you'd want to have a boat or not would make you feel pretty darn uncomfortable um, uh, here. So we, we we ended up calling up, uh, I ended up calling Gus, who's the, my sort of father-in-law once removed or however that works, and uh, and told him we had the draw and asked him about access and if he'd be willing to, to pack us in. Because, of course, he's got, he lives up here. He's got the appropriate boat for doing this kind of adventure stuff and, and uh and he was keen. He got right back to me. He said he would um, he would pack us in and um, give us a hand. And we and and that really kind of from there on, it was kind of getting. I was getting excited about this trip yep. because we um, I any any chance to hang out with Gus and and Dana and uh, is a good time. And uh, and then just to have the comfort of knowing that we've got that support. We've got the right equipment. We've got the ATV. We've got the information. Yeah. But without any of that, like this trip would have fallen apart. Yeah. 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 The, the the other option, of course, is water taxis that provide access. So our friends here, who you can kind of hear in the background, we ended up meeting some friends at the boat. Uh, we actually, just as we rolled up, there was actually another ATV being loaded onto the bow of a, of a water taxi. And we went over and, and said hello. And it's this couple from uh, Haida Gwaii. Actually, not a couple. It's brother and sister, um, uh, Joe and Roger. Um, and uh, and they've got a draw for a bull. And they were just loading their their ATV into the bow of the boat just as we rolled up. So, and it turns out we're both hunting the same drainage. And in all this research that we did, also like we kind of figured out who had draws. It's, there's only two bull draws for the valley. We kind of figured out who they people were, and they kind of knew who we were because they'd done some research as well. So, we had this sort of little powwow on the dock there, and kind of realized that we all knew people in common, and and uh, which worked out good because you were both kind of hunting the same spot. So it's good that we all get along, and we're gonna. We're going to work together to figure all this out, but um, but anyways, we ended up all getting away here. We all landed on the on the on the landing here together, and now we're all set up. And we had one day to to uh, to scout to scout. Openers so, tomorrow morning. Openings tomorrow morning. So up until the last like five minutes of our scouting expedition, what were your initial thoughts on the experience you were going to have for the next week? Well. Dylan's driving, and I'm I'm in the back, and I'm just looking side to side, looking for tracks. And if you ever hunted elk, when you see elk tracks, they're it's big because they're a herd. There's a lot of there'll be a lot of footprints. It's not like deer where you're looking for like one or two little things. It should be like a big obvious trail, and we saw just nothing, and nothing, nothing, nothing. And then we see twelve kilometers, yeah, road. yeah, and then we see one rub, and the rubs maybe. I mean, it's this year. But a month old, for sure. month old. And then you see, okay, one rub here. But no, the trail, if there was a trail, it's all covered in leaves now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just thick, dense, thick, super thick. You go to an opening, what you think is an opening, you look in, and it's just... More thick. More thick. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a different level of thick. It's not the... So unless an elk was like standing in the middle of the road, you would not see them. No. No, it's, yeah, no, it's done. And, or you'd have to just be in the river, on the river, 
and hope they just come out to the river because that's the but only But you'd have to get to, to the river, which we tried to do today because we went yeah. fishing today for the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. And to get about, like, what it was, 50 meters from where we parked to get to the river took us about, what, half an hour? No, it's all nasty. Just terrible. That's just terrible. Like, this blow down and... Put your head down and just bash. Yeah, ba- bash through. Like, no question. So, so, we cover some road today. And we get, we, we're basically, we've, I think there's, in total, probably 13 kilometers of road for us. And, and we've covered about 11 and a half or 12 kilometers of that road and I'm thinking, I'm honestly thinking in my head, I was like, man, I sure, we sure got along with that, with, with, uh, with Joe and, and, and Roger. Like, honestly, this is going to be a shit show. We should just tell, we should just all go to the Kootenays right now <laughs> and shoot some toes or something. Cause this is going to be a freaking bust. <laughs> and we come around this corner and we come in the corner and standing in the middle of the road is a gigantic bull Roosevelt elk. Just a huge and in just the most beautiful in this area, we finally got some opening. Yeah, it was a nice open. It was the only point that we were like, Oh, this is kind of nice. We could actually hunt here. And there's nothing better than seeing like a a bull or a buck in like a misty forest setting where the fog is kind of low and it's misty and they just kind of like they're so ethereal, you know. I feel like I don't know, just so magical. This gigantic animal, and he looked at us and he just turned around and just went back up the hill, and we just stopped we stopped how far away i think 50 yards 50 yards or something like that yeah it was kind of around the bend a bit yeah so i think i think we did good i like i don't think we would have i'm optimistic that like he saw us i mean we were also back like the sun was at our back too which is a good thing so Mm. he can't get a full picture of what he's seeing he's looking Mm. at the sun um and so we just we just turned around i mean i i didn't really i should check the wind too to see if he got our wind but um, we just backed around and turned out and then, I mean, and that was by far the best sign we saw all day because we didn't see any yeah. sign. So that at least that's gave a us some, sign of elk. That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good sign. And he, and he was like, I mean, we also talked on this trip about like what, you know, what, what else, like, you know, this is a once in a lifetime hunt for you, Will. Yep. I mean, you're pretty lucky. You'll probably get it again, probably get it next <laughs> year, but, um, but it's a once, like, so are you going to like. If a two or three year, you know, a two or three year old elk steps out, like a you know a younger raghornish bull steps out, are you going to shoot it? Yeah, I mean, my freezer's qu- quite full. Uh, had some success early on this year. I'm not starving for the meat, but I'm also totally not a trophy hunter, and I have I have a big mouth, and I've told lots of people about the elk I've been getting into. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of people are expecting. Some uh, gifts. So now I'm kind of on the hook. Um, but that said, I don't know. If we didn't see that bull today, and he was a nice bull. I, we didn't count it or anything. It was quite quick. But he was big. You think he was a six at least. Eh? Oh, he, he was he was a fully developed, mature six. Like he had, it. he could have scratched his butt with the back of his six tine, no problem. Like heavy, fully developed, like long tines, like it, I mean, it's getting longer all day. <laughs> yeah, like no, no, he was he was he was healthy. Yeah, he was like big. he was he was a like no question beautiful animal. I mean, the, the elk here get spectacular. Like, I, I, like these Roosevelt elk, they 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 develop their antler characteristics develop differently than Rocky Mountain elk. Like they Rocky Mountain Rocky Mountain elk develop sort of traditional uh, configurations of antlers. So they, 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 you know, a lot of them you'll see are five points, and they'll develop a six point, and on the rarest occasion they'll grow a seventh point. Um, and that, 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 that's mostly in the States where they're, you know, they're, they're an ideal, 
ideal growing conditions and, and light winters. But in VC, you know, six point bull elk, and and they just get maybe heavier, wider, longer if they get older and survive a few winters. But they don't typically develop more points. Whereas the Roosevelt elk, as they mature and get heavier, they'll develop into a five or a six point bull elk, and then they'll develop like uh, what they call crowning, like like points that sort of stick out along with their fifth and sixth points in the same area and they and they make little cups or crowns up on top of their uh, up on top of their antlers and so you can definitely find bull elk here that have these this sort of unique crowning um which this guy wasn't this guy was a this guy was like a clean did you see him that well you saw him before me because you were sitting in front of me I yeah i think i saw him for as long as you did yeah, no, he was a fully developed six point yeah. with like really heavy antlers and long. His six point po- pointing down towards his butt was like over ten inches. Oh wow! It was a nice elk. So, nice. Um, so definitely like so. One of the questions we, that's why I asked Will, like you know, are you just are you are you going to shoot any bull? Or are you going to wait around to s- try and shoot a bull that may have the, one of these unique characteristics of crowning? Or are you going to look for a heavy bull? Or are you just going to shoot a bull that'll you know? Fill your starving hunting partner's freezer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, and that's always the conversation. Like, it's my tag, but it's Dylan's effort. He came out here, you know. And if I, you know, if I shot on day one on a raghorn elk, I'm happy. I, <laughs> we I, can get out of here. <laughs> I'm on. Let's go. I'm good. We got elk. No, I, I think this is an adventure, and I think it's important that, that we that we put together. That we put together a hunt that is, um, well, I, I think we just want to go for the adventure. Now, having said that, before we saw that elk today. I would have gone taking the raghorn. Absolutely. because I wasn't going to, and then I got here, and then I was going to, and I saw that at six point, and I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, totally. At least not tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing that's so interesting here, and like, you know, we're being kind of open about what this hunt's about, because this is not going to be, like, I, like I, I hope we can do another podcast episode and be like, Holy jump and we killed an elk because I think the chances of killing an elk on this trip are extremely low because there's yeah. so little. Even the guides pulled out. There was a guide here, and we've been we were told he didn't even show up this year because he didn't have much success uh, in the last couple of years. So, yeah, but I mean, this is sort of the magic of radio is that there's going to be a moment where we're going to cut and we're going to come back. <laughs> yeah, and great. we're either going to come back on Sunday. Uh, old beaten, tired, beaten, tired, and wet, done. And, yeah, getting sick of each other. Gus and Dana picking us up and taking us out. And, yeah, and they're counting on us killing it all too because they they're volunteering their time, so <laughs> they, they're, they're hoping for the family share of the elk, right? Yeah, like, so it'll be coming out of my deer share, or it'll be tomorrow <laughs> this time. Yeah, it'll all be great. smiles on our faces. No, I, I don't know. know it, yeah, the, the, li- the limitation for sure is that there's just. I don't know how the hell we're going to hunt these animals. So that was just a huge blunder. That was just a I we blundered into it. So, so we're going to go. So, 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 so plan for tomorrow, and we'll cut this down here. And so uh, plan for tomorrow is going to go back to where we saw that boy. We're going to walk into where he was, and we're going to cow call and see if we can pull him in because that's yep. all we got to go on. Because that's it. Other than that, we saw nothing today that inspired yep. me as an elk hunter or as a hunter. Period. And I'm not keen on driving on the ATV for the next five days, hoping to blunder into something. Well, there's nowhere to blunder into. It was only like that one <laughs> kilometer road and kilometers back and forth like where the actual elk are, right? Yeah. So, all right, well, let's cut it there and we'll have some dinner and uh, hang out with our friends and hopefully we'll check back in soon. All right. Well, actually, they'll start unloading the cars in 15 we'll minutes. noisy. So, anyways, we're, we're, we're going to be short. We're going to record here and we are, and we're back. Um, so now we're actually on, what, what day are we on our hunt now? Uh, it's the 
twelfth. The twelfth today on the ninth. The ninth. So so, so three days later. So we're checking back in on our podcast. So we, so we did a podcast the 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 night of our scouting day. I think we did a pod. Did we do a podcast on the day, the day we came in, and then the day after our po- and the day after our scouting day. So our our listening audience is up to speed to where we had our first scouting day, and then we had you missed out on our first day of hunting. Um, so we got up in the morning. Yep. And we kind of formulated a plan based on uh, we'd seen this one elk crossing the road, and we kind of covered a bit of ground. Like we kind of covered all the road we could cover, um, and looked around it. And we were told that like how you hunt these elk is to just basically find sign and then basically track them. Um, so we we looked around for sign, but we didn't want to push into the bush because we were thought like if we did that, obviously we would end up potentially pushing animals out. Uh, before the actual season was open. So day one, we had our spot, which we had some sign, which was the elk that we talked about. And that gave us an indication that there was some elk there. So we went in and we set up for the morning. And we were thinking, like, this would be a we would call um, with the hopes that this bull would come wandering in. So um, anyways, what did you think? What were your thoughts on that initially? Well, we actually just did, like, what the simplest most straightforward thing would be was we sat exactly where we saw the elk the day before and um we figured i'll just set up on the road as far as a view corridor because this was uh what was a second second gen growth right Dylan? yeah basically so, like n- n- yeah so yeah. it was uh, there was some nice timber but it was a lot of it was a lot of slash it wasn't very much viewing corridors so we actually thought well the largest view corridor is this um this road here, and this road's not used by anyone. I mean, this is completely inaccessible except for one wood scavenger who we we talked a lot to, and he told us a lot about this one bridge for many hours. Um, so saga of the bridge, which I don't know if we'll share with the audience because no, it's, it's, lo- it's a long saga. Because we already had, we already suffered through it twice. For, he but, forgot that he told us the first time, <laughs> and we're the only people he's met, like no doubt, in this valley. But anyways, great yeah. guy, mind you. No, um, was, he was a this, gem. But uh, so, anyways, we set up on this on this um, this road that was basically not driven on by anyone at all, and uh, we could see both ways. So we probably had three hundred yards, and so you're just trying to be clear. This is a deactivated logging road. This Therefore, is deactivated the bridge. Shoot from this road because it's it is it's it not is, a logging road. It's yeah, like the, the, an the, old the forest. bridge is condemned. The bridge is condemned, leading up to it, and the other side isn't attached to anything. It, it ends. So there's within, zero chance, that, and, be, and there's nobody else in this valley other than us and our other. Yeah, and there's no roads connected to it. It's like yeah. a yeah, it's like okay. a yeah, skid trail basically yeah. that goes through the deactivated yeah. bridge that ends in in a. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you yeah. establishing that. that yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyways, I sat on the sidewalk and uh, was sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> sidewalk on this road. <laughs> so, um, we, so we sat on the edge of this. <laughs> should maybe tell our, our listeners that, like we're kind of wiped out. Like this is. Five in the afternoon. <laughs> we're in a ferry line. I'm heading home, and we're we're, we're pretty, pretty exhausted, bagged. pretty bagged. <laughs> but we thought we should just get this sort of podcast episode in. Um, so if you hear like you know vehicles driving by again, sorry about the lack of a studio space for this podcast. But there you go. Anyway, yeah. that's where we are. So on the road podcast. Um, so anyways, we set up and uh, and nothing. And you know the entire trip, we didn't hear one elk call, one elk anything. So we were really unsure about this calling. Uh, and anyways, I called a bunch because it's fun, and when you're sitting, it's boring. Um, and the next, you know, I was calling the next day, too, and we had to tell you that, but 
Anyways, I don't think calling was a strategy in October for these Roosevelts. So, and after that, uh, well, I don't know, Dylan, you want to talk about what happened after this? Uh, oh, eventful morning sit till well, nine. I mean, it, there was this, there was a little bit of excitement that we're just we're not going to get into because it's a longer story. But we're going to fast forward a little bit past that moment. It's some some interesting decision making about. Anyways, we'll we'll jump past that. <laughs> anyway, but we we just covered some. We ended up just covering some ground, and what we learned about elk hunting in this particular valley is it's it's so tough. The country is so tough. Like where we found elk was basically like eight foot high, like um, like salmonberry and thimbleberry and devil's club, and so like there was elk down in the bottom of the valley, but it was just like choked out with this like thick awfulness and and you're basically walking through tunnels of like um in this like in this brush and like you're all not only is there like lots of elk tracks there's lots of bear tracks and such so like my level of comfort is i mean i'm not really i'm not really paranoid like i'm pretty have a fairly high tolerance for grizzly bear but but I do recognize that you're supposed to maintain good view corridors. And when, when I talk about this stuff to folks about trying to like you know, manage their paranoia, I, I, you know, I say, just maintain good view corridors and you're all good. You shouldn't have an accident. And all the things, like there's salmon in the river. There's like limited view corridors. Limited, as in no view. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so, so it's a little uncomfortable, like, you know, cruising down these, these trails. And even if you did see an elk, like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to see an elk at five feet? Like, so I, I was a little discouraged by that. That was one particular area we found elk. And then up on the, there was sort of a, some second growth forest that had matured. Like, it was nice, mature second growth forest. But it didn't have the concentration of sign. But their elk had been through it. So there was, you know, the odd elk had walked through the forested area. So there was sort of a different, like, from, from my hunt, from a, as I was thinking about, like, what the hell are we going to do next? Like, particularly after our first day, which we didn't, we didn't replicate our, our scouting day. We didn't see an elk, which was, you know, not surprising. But it didn't. It felt kind of like a bust. And then we kind of had covered enough ground that we had a total assessment of what our potential hunt would be for the next day, even and maybe for the rest of the week. Like, and the assessment was like, well, shoot, like we could either like, we we, we sort of were developing a new concept of what we we're going to call it bump and shoot hunting as opposed to spot and stalk, like. You just like blundered through the bush until you bump into an elk and then hopefully shoot it at five feet. Like that was one option. And then the alternative was to, you know, just spend time in the open forest and uh, and hope that one happens to be wandering through when you're in it. You know? Mm, yeah, yeah. I think I, another interesting thing, I think, I think we could uh, we could talk about it a bit. And I found it was interesting how, how you navigated it was uh, to back up here a little bit. So as it turns out, we were going up uh, the day before opening, and I, th- I think we mentioned the other couple. I mean, that's too bad we didn't get them on the podcast. They're really, they they're awesome. a great couple from, uh, not a couple, brother and sister from um, from Haida Gwaii, and uh, they were awesome. But there was a lot of so we're discovering this terrain. They're on the other side of the river. They're doing their thing, and so there's a discussion between me and Dylan, like, well, how do we manage? Our discussions with these two other hunters that we're competing for the same. It's not. There's lots of bulls. Let's say in this area, but the herd is what fifty. We we think we think fifty and eighty bull animals. We, we could have asked Daryl today. That's too bad. Yeah, we should have asked him. Yeah. but I mean, there's maybe and there probably is twenty bulls. Would you say? It, I, I'm I'm confident. There's. I mean, so, so just just to back up again. So when 
so we're we're hunting on an limited entry hunting authorization. So Will got the authorization. There's one of two bull draws for the for the early season, which is October 10th to the 20th, and there's two allocations. And it just so happened that when we were at the dock, we met the other group that was coming in, um, who had the second allocation. So which was great. So now we know who they are. And we ended up camping next to each other. And it turns out they're great people. It turns out that uh, Joanne and I actually went to high school together. We were both in grade nine at the same high school for a period of time. So we have friends in common and whatnot. So in any event, they were great people and they were super enthusiastic hunters. So, But it also made for, it was just good that we had a relationship right off the bat because we kind of, there's a very limited amount of area to hunt. There was basically one mainline access road of eight kilometers and then it divided up into two, it split into two roads that maybe went two or three kilometers past that. So, and the road, the road went on either side of the creek, and then apparently, what we were told, the main area where the elk lived was sort of in between these two roads where they split. So we're, we ended up just sort of dividing up the valley, saying, okay, we'll go, we'll hunt the right side, you guys hunt the left side, and then we said, well, we'll trade notes at the end of the night. So we so we did come back that, that night and hung out with them around the fire and kind of traded notes as to what we both figured out. But it, it is interesting, like, your, your approach to that, because a lot of hunters and fishermen, and there's, there's definitely a a need to be kind of a little bit, a little bit, I don't know, not sneaky, but a little bit secretive for sure. Um, but to make that call. And, and I think what, what we came to, and uh, I think it was you Dylan, I was sort of more pushing for this, like, let's just be 100% tell them absolutely everything we're seeing. And, you know, if we're onto the, a bull, then they'll respect to give us a little bit of space um, to hunt that animal and whatever we're not using, they can use. So it was actually kind of great to not see that group as like a competitor to us that that is going to mess up our hunt, but to see them as like um, someone to share in the hunt with and also like give info on and also tell them exactly what we're doing and where we're going and why we're doing it and what animal we saw so that they would give us that space just out of like etiquette. So yeah, and I and, I, and they were the kind of people that would that would be all over that. I mean, they just, they got that right away. And because we did see that bull on the, on, you know, on our night before day. opener, of course, the six point night before opener. Yeah. Bull. Walking, standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah. And these animals, how heavy are these animals? I don't know, like a thousand pounds. A thousand pounds standing. So it's a lot of work. So it'd be nice if they just stood in the middle of the road. No, but anyways, um, but yeah, we, but we, we, we had to decide, are we going to tell them about the bull that we saw? Um, and we ended up telling them, and we tell, and then we told them exactly what we're doing the next day. Yeah. And and in the end, like we even even on day two, we suggested, well, if you guys want to hunt, want to switch sides, we could do that. But they, they had they had an interesting enough day that they wanted to continue to develop their understanding of um, what was happening on their side of the valley. They, they they had a little bit of enough interest that they had they put together a pretty good hunt, and they wanted to develop it the, over the next day or so. So so that worked out good. So in a day two. Had a nice dinner with these guys. I think that, yeah, debriefed. I, I was, you know, at one point, I think I was thinking to myself that, you know, I was like, this, after after having all the information from two days in the valley, I was thinking, this is going to be an extremely tough hunt. And maybe we should just, with our new friends, we should all pack up and go to the Kootenays because we have a better chance of <laughs> taking home meat than if we try and persist on this hunt because it, it was just... Well, my feeling was it was very limited. Like I felt like we'd already hunted out the huntable area within the first day. There, there was also some other limitations. There was a, the um, the salvage logger in the area was working 
uh, rebuilding a road right right alongside of the main area where the elk live or one of the main one of the few areas that we can access where elk live and he was like basically like hauling gravel and using a grader on a road for like eight hours which you know we could hear all day long um so we're sort of feeling like that would have an impact um and and also just all of a sudden now you've got four people pushing through the one area they live like they're bound to move but we don't have anywhere else to hunt once once we've hunted out that little section of three kilometers of river like i don't know what we would have done next had we not found what elk you know the next day yep yep yeah well i guess um so i mean at the end of that day we were we were kind of at square one i mean we hadn't we found a lot of sign but it was a lot of it was exciting but it it was kind of old, right? It was like the majority of it we think was a few weeks old. It, it always looks fresh. You see all these rubs and you see the trees rubbed freshly and there's even like shavings of the tree everywhere. But you just got the sense by looking at the poop that it wasn't, it wasn't like fresh, fresh, fresh. It was a lot of elk there and then a couple elk just recently. But all that major sign that we saw seemed like a little like the elk had moved on from that area. Yeah, um, but aside from that, we hadn't really developed a, a plan, really. No, you kept. We kept saying, "What are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing tomorrow?" And like, I, and I was like, "Let's talk about it in the morning," because I feel I'm, I'm uninspired. Anyways, fast forward to the next morning. Still, as we're driving in, on, we have a quad to get in and out of this main road, and, and um, I'm still uninspired. As we're driving down the road, I still don't know what we should do. I'm like, okay, let's just drive to the end of the road, and let's just walk down through the forest and try to like. I think I was thinking there was one that one spot of like if there was some really nice forest that you could actually still hunt and and I I love like as a whitetail hunter I love to still hunt I just like to walk through the forest quietly and see what you can see before it sees you so so I talked Will into just let's just go wander through that forest sit around a little bit try calling for a bit and see what happens and then we should probably work our way upriver past where we've been and just continue to look for sign. I think that was our plan, yeah. basically. And that was basically formulated. Well, we were sort of hoping that we would cut fresh tracks on the quad on the way in. That was plan A, I guess, which didn't happen. So we got to the end of the road. So plan B was let's keep walking up the river as far as we can go and still hunting through what was relatively nice timber. Mm, yeah. And uh, so we get to, uh, you know, a new area a little bit further up river. And uh, it opened up. The timber was a bit more open. And we get in there, and uh, right away we realized we were in amazing habitat for chanterelle mushrooms and bull eats. And, uh, and we got, <laughs> I got kind of excited about it. So, so we're you know we're poking it, and I well, was we passed a, by the first bunch of mushrooms, right? And so we're yeah. we're actually hunting along, and like you're like, oh look at that, oh look, at the, oh look at the chanterelle, oh look at the bolitas, oh look, <laughs> and like we're actually trying to hunt, and then like. As we, we sat around for an hour and called, nothing happened, and we started still hunting again. And like, next thing I know, like Will's breaking down. He's picking mushrooms, right? Yeah. And and now we got, then we got well, a I handful. Mean, I, so I started as a mushroom picker. Like my interaction with harvesting from the forest was mushroom picking, and then hunting came second. And it's always been the struggle for me of like looking down at the ground and looking forwards is this dual the reality of being in the forest for me. So yeah, I often get carried away. And sort of lose perspective on uh, on what's happening. So so as we're still hunting through the forest here and and Will's mushroom picking, um, I I look down through the forest and I, and I see a, an orange thing in between two trees. I'm like, oh, 
that's an elky color. And I put my binoculars on it, and it's a stump. And then through the image on my binoculars, an elk walks by. Like, complete fluke. That yeah. I have, like, like, total magic, right? And I put my binoculars down, and I just look, and it's, it's like maybe 60 yards away. And I look at it, and I see it's just a bull elk. And I look at you, and you're got your, your your butt. I look at you, your butt, and you're picking a mushroom, and, and I'm like trying to get your attention and trying to point down at the elk. And and in your mind, I think you were like, "Oh, there's a bolitas over there." <laughs> <laughs> no, we got you tuned in pretty quick. Yeah. But anyways, this elk can just sort of walk through the forest down below us. And and and, and in all fairness, to will, I mean, but like we, the, even even if. Like it, there, there wasn't really a moment to shoot this up, but it was, it was just great to see it. It was just so encouraging to see the elk, and it was encouraging that it was a bull, and it was also encouraging that it wasn't buggering off. It was just, it was just sort of sneaking through the woods, but it was just, like it just happened to take like where well, we happened to see it, and was in some nice open forest, and by the time that we were kind of semi-organized and both both focused on it, it just stepped into that thick stuff right at the bottom of the river valley again, and it was gone. So we kind of did a little bit of a, well, from there we had a couple options. We continued side hilling and hope that we could see down into the river valley or, and I think we opted for just, let's just go down in the valley, find his tracks and just sneak along his tracks and see if he's, if we can get close enough to him. So that's what we, we were down and Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're following basically the, the wildlife biologist, uh, uh, what he was saying from, from your conversation with him, Dylan, just basically like walk till you find the sign follow the tracks in and just be aggressive because these aren't heavily pressured animals a and b they're in terrible terrain that you're not going to see them from you know a kilometer away on your spotting scope um so yeah basically we, we had to just keep telling ourselves like forget what you know about elk hunting you know the rocky mountain elk and, and just focus on these guys that spend their lives around these animals and so yeah that's what we did we found the tracks and followed them in yeah, so we so we ended up kind of going through some horribleness for a bit, and then we kind of pumped up on that little bench, and we found we kind of found his track. We kind of lost his tracks as he went through that that river that river valley bottom, and then we kind of picked it. Well, we just kind of figured where the like the easiest way to cross this little creek, and we actually picked up his track again, which was sort of fluky, but maybe just because it's the only, one of the only places you could actually get across there. And then, but once we picked up his track again, there was all of a sudden there was elk sign everywhere. It was like the elk herd had been on this next bench that we that we found ourselves on and we're sneaking across that and like i heard that like i heard that like there's sometimes you hear a thump like a it's like really like a like a, it just you should feel the ground shake a little bit and it's an animal either standing up or and i heard that and i was thinking oh, what was that and then i because there's two of us i thought it could have been you just stepping down hard or something like that i didn't quite pro process it and then we took another step and I, there was a cow staring at us and and I was kind of kicking myself because I knew that I should have seen her one step earlier and that might have given us a little bit more chance to see what was going on. And then just as soon as we saw her, basically she evaporated and all of a sudden I could hear elk kind of bolting in every direction. And and then, what if we, then we basically... And I mean, basically, where we were, there was a little knoll up there, and and I decided to uh, just walk up behind it and see if I could get some vantage point, like look into some of the trees uh, 
where this cow was heading towards. So right then, I so I saw from there, I, from where I was standing, you were just starting to sneak to a tree. I had stepped into a tree, and I saw a bull elk walking through the forest up and away from us. And I think it was the same bull that we'd already seen because it was a it was a nice six point bull elk, mature. And I cow called to try and stop him, and I didn't see him after that. And and then basically like. You took one more step up to the tree, and then your gun was up. Yeah, and then he stopped. He gave me a basically a, a little window uh, in the high shoulder, and uh, about sixty yards. And uh, I squeezed the trigger, and and so thankful that he went down right there in in that spot, and we got him. Uh, later, when we when we were boiling, I realized I had got it was a little high. And something about elk anatomy, um, it's quite different where their spine runs. Like a deer, their spine is basically at the top of their back, um, but an elk has this in between the two loins has kind of like a ridge of bone, and the spine is quite a bit lower. So I I had nicked the spine, um, got both lungs, like the top of both lungs, um, so it it bled out. But when I nicked the spine, obviously it went down right away. So I mean, that's always so great because that's like the worst part about you have this like elation of seeing the animal and then getting your shot, and then this like there's always this bit of dread or oh, panic goodness, yeah. of like you you can't start high fiving your buddy yet. Like you have to, you really like you're going over your head over for like the next you know half an hour, forty five minutes, an hour, however long you think the animal needs going through in your head and be like, okay, did you, did you see him? Do you see what happened? Like, how do you feel about that shot? Like, where was it? Like you reliving it, yeah. much of self doubt. And then, then you get to get that joy back when you, when you find your animal. Well, it's but, relief. I don't even know if it's joy. It's just like, so thankful. Yeah. You're just so happy that, like, yeah. Cause, uh, so, uh, so anyway, so that, so the, so the animal that you shot was not the animal that I saw walk away. I'm confident. You think so? Like, eh? Cause I watched him walk away mm. and I didn't see him come back. And when I when when you stepped over, you were looking in a different direction, and so it was a second bull that you got, which turns out I think was a significantly larger bull mm. that that happened. So we so I didn't see the one that I that I cow called, and it, well, the one that it just didn't hadn't, hadn't left yet um, was the was the dominant bull. Well, what we think is likely the dominant bull of the herd. So so, anyways, that was exciting. Yeah, and it yeah. was even better that we could both see the animal like it dropped, and it was like basically flipping around a little bit or like they having a few head shakes, but I could tell that it was dying. And we both had, you know, at that point, we both had our gun on it, ready to put it out of, you know, put it out of its misery, but it was clearly pretty much dead, but within a few minutes. So mm. that was so, I was so thankful. And it was just, that was pretty exciting to and, be there. And where it died was just like in, you know, in this nasty valley of slashy craziness, it was just this beautiful rolling uh, moss and lichen forest, and it died in this nice flat area. Oh, we could unbelievable. We got up to it, and, it, and the sun was coming out, and it was like a sunny, clear, hot day, like, like unseasonably no nice, hot in no October. No nice place in this entire valley. And the, I mean, there's one nice place where, where this elk died. This is the one yeah. beautiful little piece of old growth forest, like just yeah, mossy, lovely greens. Oh, it was just, oh, and it was, it was only 300 meters from from the end of the road, like. We just happened to be like kind of looped down and around in the end. Like it wasn't very far for, for an elk pack out. It was, it was like harmless really. Yeah. yeah. So, 
So this was fun. So so anyways, you you you, you, so you shot the we got the elk down. Uh, we radio our our buddies because they you know they're, they're we've shared radios now and they're excited to know what's going on. So we radio let them know that we've got an elk down, and like we end up sort of we have to run up and get our quad and kind of figure out a few things like that and get things organized to get all the equipment to deal with this elk. And all of a sudden they just appear like on the road right where like they've just they just they were only like. 300 meters across the valley or something where they were hunting. So they just appear. They're all excited. They want to hear the story. So we all go back down to the elk and tell the story. And then we spend the next few hours cutting up the elk. And they were totally into it. They had a lot of fun just kind of learning about how to break down an animal. And it was a really special day. Eh? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Like, how much weather can impact your day, your hunt too, right? Like, by all means, where that hunt was and this time of year... It could have been sleeting easily. Like, it could have just Snowing. been horrible. Could have been awful. It could have just been awful. Generally it could have been awful for one day. week. Yeah. Yeah. It just raining. It, that elk could have been shot by the river bottom in that insane thick oh, dude. And we salmon berries, half yeah, of like, the stream, soaking wet. Yeah. Just basically with both knees and a, and, a, and a grizzly bear print as you're trying to gut an elk. <laughs> and then you're like, leave it for it. Like, and like, you know, if you were, if we were packing out of the river valley, it'd be like an hour per load up to the road or wherever we could get it to and then you know every hour you're like hmm, how many grizzly bears could possibly anyways we were very fortunate yeah. to get this yeah. out so yeah so everything worked out it was, a, it was two days in and but we, we really didn't think it was gonna happen honestly no and i think and i think once we would have hunted out like another day or two we would just felt like kind of helpless like we just had no other options for hunting mm-hmm but today was interesting. So, so, so anyways, we, today was great. So we ended up, yesterday was great too. We got, we ended up quartering up the elk, got the help from our buddies, which was great because we had to load the elk on two separate quads and get out of there, get it back to camp. We hung the elk. Um, there wasn't like, there's no like meat poles around, but there's lots of bridges over top of creeks. Um, so we just took advantage of one of those old, old forestry bridges and hung the elk down over a creek, which is because it's fairly warm, it, it, it served as an area where it's quite cool. There's lots, lots of cool breeze overnight. It's fairly damp, so not ideal for keeping your meat dry, but certainly got, got a chill on our meat, which was great. And, and, and today we're, I just, I just dropped off half of my elk or my half of the elk, I guess, at the butcher here in Seashell, and you're going to take it home to your, your half to your cooler. So we'll have it in a cooler tonight. So I think it's going to be okay, the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a bit concerned because we're sitting in a ferry line up in a black truck and it's, I mean, it's cooling down now. It's five o'clock, but um, anyways, yesterday was great. Now today was interesting because we ended up driving down the Sunshine Coast, and there's two things you have to do with the Roosevelt elk. You have to get something called a uh, compulsory, compulsory inspection. Yeah, compulsory inspection. So, so for like sheep and I think goats and a few, and Roosevelt elk, I think, and a few other species, you have to have uh, have a compulsory inspection. So, so. so uh, so somebody who's authorized by the ministry has to look at the animal. They want to take a tooth, uh, a tissue sample, like a patch of the hide, and uh, they'll count the horn, they count the points, and um, and take a bunch of information, and that gets sent in, and, and that just is uh, for it's just for the biologist to have a bit more information around these particular hunts that are that are that are managed kind of closely. Like so, um, we also stopped in, and, and Daryl Reynolds, who's the biologist that has really developed the elk program on the Sunshine Coast and he's a he's a good friend of mine so and lives in Seashell. So we actually stopped and had a visit with him on the way down and, and he had a look at the elk and was uh pretty excited for us for sure. Mm-hmm. So if you're on uh yeah so we'll get some pictures up on the Instagram and, and Facebook page and you guys can see the elk but it's a it's a really it's a wonder it's a beautiful elk. It's it's 
I think that, that Daryl said it was what three three forty or something that I don't know. What yeah, it that was. was just his yeah his gas. His gas. So I, it was. I mean, it was a six by eight, um, and just massive. It's I mean, just, just massive. massive. It's, like it's just massive. hard to hard yeah. to believe. Like I remember as we were like as I'm skinning it out, and then as I'm quartering, and as in the, and then as I'm like taking off the rib meat. Every time I turned around to grab something, and I caught sight of the antlers, I was just blown away. I just like kept forgetting how big this animal well, was, and just the whole body. I mean, like, and it actually was like even with with the thing all proportionally, like with its antlers and its giant head, and like. But once you started breaking the pieces off, like once you actually saw one of the one of the hind quarters, like on its own, I'm like, I've seen a lot of elk quarters, and they're all about 75, 80 pounds, and these elk quarters are 105 pounds, like massive and then the, the well, and then when you see the skull on its own like the antlers are one thing like the antlers are huge but you look at the skull like the skull is like a foot wide hmm. and like most elk that i have like laying around are, are like almost half that i think like it's just it's a remarkable animal it's just it was such we're so fortunate to have that opportunity mm-hmm. it's so fun so so well, that's it we're well um yeah it's a uh, it, it did, man, it's so, so much more good to go. It's so funny, like, you know, from the moment of you shoot and, uh, and then you're like, okay, and then I just have to like oh, the work. skin it and then I have to quarter it and then I have to pack to the quad. And then we and think then we're done. We're like, like, oh, we're done. Like, we're like, we're driving yeah. now. We're all high. Yeah, we're on the quad. Sweet. And then take the quad to camp and then, the and then, then hang it on the bridge. Got to cover it in game bags, hang in the bridge. Like, and wake up at six in the morning and take it off the bridge. And then, oh, yeah. Well, because it's so warm, we had to like, we had to get the hell out of there. So we, we had to like, get the hell out of there. So then like get to the boat. Oh, get yeah. the put it on the on the quad and get to the boat and then take it down the ramp and put it in the boat then load the quad on that skiff and blah 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 yeah, boat over the, the boat the boat yeah and then the quad take, take the boat take the take the meat out of the boat up the ramp in the truck now we're in the truck Dylan's a uh, smarter man than me he drops his meat up at the butcher now I gotta go to my cooler start the cooler up put the meat in there. Come this weekend, do all the, you know, butchering, you know, wrapping, sealing, blah, 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 blah. It's a lot, man. And then your friends, your They're friends like, just hey, sort of think like, oh, out. hey, you got lots. Of, I'm like, I got so many texts over here. This one guy, he sent me a picture of his four children and said he's hungry. It's <laughs> funny, eh? And uh, now I don't mind because he actually was a hunter. And, uh, but people don't, they feel almost like it's like this thing, like you just picked up like a flower or it's like. It's just this thing that you just shot it and it just was, it's like an easy thing. You just, because they see deer on the side of the road all the time and they think you just go and just take one. But yeah, there's no concept of how much friggin' work it is. Well, and this trip And this wasn't. This is the yeah. most, this is like for, for, I mean, moose hunting's a little bit like this. It's just, it's gear intense, right? And this has this added layer of like, well, first of all, I think having to get an ATV and then having to find a boat that's big enough to take the ATV in. And, we're, and, you know, we're very fortunate to have family that was able to help us get in. And uh, Gus and Dane were amazing. That was such a treat because we had, uh, my, I think we probably talked about it in the first episode, but yeah, Gus Gus and Dane are, I guess, my my brother's wife's parents and good friends of mine as well. And they were happy to come help us get in and with their boat. And they're just such, they're just salt of the earth. Those They're just so much fun. But anyways, it was just great having them pick us up and take, pack us out today. It was just flat, calm water on Jervis Inlet and... The run was beautiful in and out. Like we were very fortunate because all those logistics were just so mellowed by the weather. And the fact that we actually got an elk was it's just it's baffling. 
So <laughs> we're very thankful. So I yep. think, I think you know, when we were you know, three weeks ago, we were basically on the verge of canceling this trip. I think we yep. were going to yep. be like, let's go deer hunting or something or do something else at a time. And like, like even like those three days were just awesome hunting days in the end. Yeah. Like yeah. the hunting, what the actual hunting wasn't, I wasn't that engaged with the hunting itself, but meeting, I mean, all the people that we met along the way in terms of the caretaker, the Wayne, the logger up there, of course, Gus and Dane hanging out with us. And then of course our friends that we met that were also hunting up there. Like we just had great community. And then when they elk, when we got the elk and have everybody jumped on board and helped us with it all the way through to when we got to the dock and into the back of the truck. And it was just such a, such a wonderful day. Yesterday was so much fun all yep. day long. Like, and that was a beautiful animal. Yeah, hard hard work, but man, like, just fun and really nice. I mean, really great people. Like the Steve, the old timer who lives up there, he was helping us out, and the, that couple was helping us out, and and uh, yeah, just smiles all around, you know. Yeah, totally. So I hear the moral of the story is for this podcast. This is a bit of an adventure hunt for sure, and and when given the opportunity to go on an adventure hunt, I think you just got to suck it up and go because once in a while it'll work out, and you get great weather and you get an animal. Maybe it doesn't work out, but hopefully you'll have an adventure and there's lots of smiles and yeah. adventures, right? So, yeah. So there you go. All right. Well, well, that was a great hunt, man. Yeah. No, that was fantastic, and I'm exhausted and can't <laughs> wait to think about this in the future. Totally. <laughs> when I'm less tired. Yeah, totally. That was good. Well, thanks for hanging in here and doing this. All right. Yeah. We'll sign it off. We'll talk to you again soon, guys. Bye.